Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilston and I'm sure everyone will be relieved to know that I'm back after a few days away on some annual leave and I'm joined by my co-host or my guest today, should I say, Rich Fay, another heavyweight of the journalism world who was at the game at the weekend. Rich, how are you, my friend? I hope I'm not in the heavyweight division. I think I'll get knocked out cold if that's the case. Uh, I'm I'm good, mate. How are you? You sound like you're a bit of cold at the moment. Yeah, I sound a bit rough, don't I? I sound a bit worse for wear. Um, I suppose that's what a few days of drinking alcohol does to you. But I've been here for myself. I had a very enjoyable time. Um, back to work on Sunday to report on the game, obviously. And I'm looking forward to chatting about it today, Rich, with you. And it's just us today, isn't it? Just a two-hander. So I'm sure we'll have a fun half an hour ahead. Well, um, I think you should maybe clarify, you were at the races, maybe unlike <laughs> United at the weekend. You, you've got an excuse maybe for you, for being a bit worse aware today. That was the perfect line on the way in, doesn't it? And I, I didn't use that. You, you can write my notes next time for it, Rich. I think you should uh, write, write the script. Uh, but you were actually at the game. Obviously, I was at home, thankfully, because my voice probably wouldn't have done much good. Um, Rich, it was a bonkers game, wasn't it? Fulham with a better side. <laughs> but it will have to start off with that moment of madness around the 70th minute when Willian handballs it, denies a goal scoring opportunity, he gets sent off and then just, just carnage unfolded, didn't it? Yeah, it was, I said at the time that that one red card, Fulham lost their heads, they lost two players, they lost their manager and they lost the chance to get to a FA Cup semi-final as well. It was absolutely absurd and I think the most startling part of all of it was it was a clear red card I don't actually know what the complaints are about I mean I think if you go to Old Trafford and you want to try cause an upset you've got to maybe get in the referee's ear a little bit you've got to have that siege mentality that Fulham had but they completely overstepped the mark Marco Silva after the game said he was sent off because he left his technical area during a VAR check he says it wasn't anything he said to referee Chris Kavanagh but in his post-match rant, he clearly had issues with, with the referee and the officiating performance in general. And Mitrovic, we get with him, isn't it? Lovable he? He rogue. Is lovable rogue. <laughs> I think if he plays for you, you love him. I think if he plays against you, you absolutely hate him. And again, I just don't know why, why he was so angry and why he lost his head. He must have thought that it was sort of self-frustration that Fulham should have been two goals ahead. He felt he should have had penalties himself during the game. He should have had more than just the goal he got. And I think it was just a culmination of him realising that that penalty was going to punish his side for being so wasteful in the match, really. And like I said, he lost his head. He put his hands on the referee. And I know that a lot of comparisons have been made with what Bruno Fernandes did in, in the Liverpool game. And he obviously wasn't given a, a, a ban for that. 
But you've got to take this as the isolated incident anyway. I know we always complain about the lack of consistency in, in, in refereeing decisions, but he overstepped the mark, he lost his head, and he's rightfully sent off. And then Willian had no complaints. That's what's just so absurd about it all. It, it was just a clear red card. It was a clear penalty. I just don't know why they got so angry over it. I, like I said, I can understand maybe the frustration of the match and it felt like they'd really missed the chance because they were so much better than United for 70 minutes full of And then these hit self-destruct. And I think you've also got to give credit to United that they do keep their heads largely in these situations. I know we'll point to that Liverpool game and say, well, what about that? That was an anomaly. United tend to have that attitude under Ten Hag where they can just fight to the end. They're always going to get a bit wound up and Bruno Fernandes is usually the cheerleader of all that. But in all, United just handled the situation quite well. And again, I know the play against nine men, but credit to United that they did make it look so routine from then on in because it, it, it's obviously down to them to go and win the game. But again, it's a, it's a testament to Ten Hag that they actually did and, and made it look so easy in the end. I said to you before the game that Mitrovic was probably a certainty for a card and I was chuckling to myself when that when that broke out knowing him quite well. Um, he just has that in him, doesn't he? He has that moment of madness where it's like a Serbian firecracker and something ignites and he just goes off on one. And, and we both agreed after the game that Fulham, I mean, everyone said it, it was just, they were just so silly really. Even at 1-1, if Fernandez converts the penalty and yes they're down a man but they've still got a chance because they played so well and I think that's where the frustration came from maybe with Mitrovic knowing that Fulham had played so well and got to that stage of the game with just 20 minutes to go with the lead and then they were kind of chucking it away I would say that probably played into his into his mind and sparked those scenes it was pretty crazy and I can't really recall an implosion like that really in in my time watching football I don't know can you Rich can you think of scenes like that I can't think of any that three red cards in 40 seconds is just spectacular, isn't it? It, it, was, yeah, it was crazy, I mean, it really was. I'm sure there will be lots of games I'm forgetting about where red cards have caused a team to absolutely collapse and capitulate, but it was just the extent of it. And like you yeah. said, I've not seen teams capitulate like that when they've still been in control of the game because it wasn't as if they were 3 0 down, they get a red card, and then you know the, the floodgates open or whatever. That they're winning 1 0, and like you said, if it, they get to 1 all, even with 10 men they still got a good chance of holding on, potentially get dex time penalties. It certainly wasn't over. So it was just really naive for them. And I, f- I suppose, again, they are maybe the levels between a team who were having a really good season and you know will finish high mid-table to teams right at the very top that the cliches of how you, or what you do in both boxes, the momentum and how you handle yourself in key moments all sort of came true on Sunday. And again, testament to United because they've had to this packed fixture schedule and they, they were off it and there was a lot of fortuitousness about the way they won. It was a, as much about Fulham's own inadequacies as it was about United being good on the day, but you've still got just do what's in front of you and United have this knack of just winning. They just always seem to find a way and it might be lucky at times, but the amount of times it happens, it has to be a positive trait. 100%, 100%. I mean, you're right, there were... Massively off it from the start. I think probably that's the slowest start this season I can remember anyways uh, regarding United. I mean, they did look like a team that had played in Thursday night in Spain, obviously against Real Betis. That was 1-0, comfortably won the tie in the end. But it, it looked like it's kind of taken its toll. Obviously, we're approaching the international break now. or That has uh, started now. So I think the players 
do need a rest. And Luke Shaw talked about that after the game. He said, look, the performance lacked intensity. Um, it was just that spark missing, really, from the first whistle. We'll come on to the midfield in a second, really. Um, but that was a, a huge part of the game, wasn't it? That that intensity that was just lacking. And that's why Fulham looked like the better side. I was really impressed with um, Harrison Reed actually, in midfield. who had a great game for Fulham. Um, he really controlled the midfield. And Casemiro, we'll talk about him again a bit later, as I've just said. But what a miss, obviously. We all know he was suspended early in the season um, Poor, maybe not poor is probably a bit harsh but an unconvincing performance against Arsenal and in the double header against Leeds and he's so hard to replace in that midfield and when he's not playing it looks a bit dysfunctional it looks a bit unorganised and Fulham were just playing through that midfield so easily weren't they and that's why as we've said Mitrovic was probably so angry at letting the game go like that We'll get into that selection then, Rich, with the midfield. Were you surprised at the midfield? Because I was. I, I would have started Fred personally. He obviously went for McTominay, didn't he? Um, but I would have went with Fred, Sabitza um, and Fernandez in that midfield midfield three. I think certainly uh, I like what Fred brings in terms of his sort of harassment, the pressing. He's just a, a pest, really. It's similar to the Southampton game that United and the Southampton Casemiro got sent off, but they were playing against a team who whose biggest strength is their midfield. Southampton's best players are their midfielders. I think the same's Fulham. We all know that Andreas Pereira has that quality, even though it's very erratic and not always there. João Paulinho got man of the match on the day and he was absolutely brilliant. I think he is certain to be playing in Europe next season, even if Fulham aren't. And then, like you said, Harrison Reid was, was excellent as well. And it gave them the platform, obviously Casemiro not being there, but they still had to exploit it. And the problem for United was that Sabitzer and McTominay Ten Hag obviously prefers McTominay in the deeper number six role. He's probably the most like-for-like replacement for Casemiro, but he's still nothing like him as well <laughs> at the same time. He's a bit more defensive-minded than Fred and Sabitzer. He's very clunky in his passing. He doesn't have that passing range, but he's decent as a blocker. You know, he, he is that physical presence at the base of the midfield, so he can do a job there. Obviously not long-term, but he can do a sort of temporary fix. The problem for United is that Sabitzer and McTominay both have this urge to drive forward and make those surging runs. And it means that United just don't have any balance in midfield. They don't have that anchor. They don't have that safety blanket. And they're very easy to, to play through because Sabitzer and McTominay are, are very similar in their own styles of play. And they both want to get forward, want to get on the ball and make those short bursts. So I think as a partnership, Sabitzer and McTominay just doesn't work, but was always going to happen because McTominay I think will be the short-term Casemiro fix, even though he's not the perfect fix there. And Ten Hag just has no interest whatsoever in playing Fred and McTominay together. I think he just sees that as real regression from United's part to, to what they used to be. So I think that, like you said, I would have gone Fred and, and Sabitza, but again, maybe the concern there is that Fred is better going forward himself. Ultimately, for me, it just highlights the fact that we're talking so much that United need a new striker this summer. That is the priority. And they want someone who's an alternative to Christian Eriksen because not having Eriksen in there has been a huge miss for United. You, you take for granted just how good he's been this season. He is effortless. He creates from deep. It was the last time United had played Fulham. He set up that Garnacho goal with a brilliant pass that no one else really plays in the United team. And they had a really good balance, that, that midfield of Casemiro, Eriksen and Fernandez. And without him, he's been a huge loss. So you can see why United want another creative midfielder. But then they also need a like-for-like like Casemiro alternative because 
next season, even if Casemiro is fit and isn't suspended, he's going to need to be rotated. You can't play in the Premier League and the Champions League and then the domestic cup competitions and have Casemiro playing every single week. It's just not sustainable. Players will drop off. They'll be burnout. And they need to manage that properly. And I'm just really surprised maybe that at this moment in time, United's priority isn't to sign a new defensive midfielder this summer because, yes, they've already got the elite option. They'd have to buy someone who's happy not playing most weeks, but they still need someone there who can who can do that job because, I, I don't know about you, Stephen, but I feel like every single week I just write the same thing about United. Martinez was good. United missed Casemiro. Rashford does something. Fernandez scores a goal. De Gea makes a good save. Yeah, Ten Hag's talked about how oh, they're good without Casemiro, and I mean, I just can't see it myself. I just don't see it. Yeah. But but the caveat to that is, you take your best player out of any team, and they're going to struggle. That's why I wrote my lunch piece today. You could do that to Chelsea while they're struggling, City or Liverpool, etc. Um, yeah, I was going to say, who's I, Chelsea's I best player? There. Well, yeah, I don't know at the moment. To be fair, <laughs> but you know, the, the usual top six or Newcastle's best player. Uh, if you take Bruno Gamares out of that team, they're going to struggle, aren't they? They're bound to struggle. So that is obviously an important aspect of it. But you're right; someone else needs to come in that midfield to cover from and they don't have that player at the moment um, so obviously Rich after the international break we've got Newcastle Brentford and Everton and Newcastle are going to be hungry for revenge after the Carabao Cup final Brentford having a, a fantastic season again with Thomas Frank picking up some really good results and Everton are improving under Sean Dyche obviously so for me when you look at that midfield those are the games that Casemiro is going to be missing after the weekend I think it's important to put Fred in but, but judging by what you've just said would you keep the faith with McTominay in that midfield and McTominay Sapitza it's it's a tough one isn't it it, it is a tough yeah. one I, like you said I think I think I just can't see him not play McTominay really I think he will pick think, McTominay that's the thing but I'm not sure yeah, I agree because with I just it. think he has that energy and that presence physicality and, yeah yeah, I just don't think the fr- that Fred and Sabitzer maybe have that. And I think also there's got... To, I mean, Sabitzer was good with passing. He, he played yeah, a brilliant really through ball for Rashford, didn't he? I think on the left at some point. But I just don't think he can, tr- can control the game as much. So you're relying on moments. You're relying on the counter-attack, which I think against Newcastle, oddly, might they might be able to get away with if, they just, if United go to St. James Park and almost embrace that they're going to be playing on the break. The, Newcastle will be well up for it. United can just try hit them you know, on counter-attacks. Whereas against Brentford and Everton, there's going to be an onus on United to attack. And I think they're the games where they'll probably come unstuck because I just can't see them controlling and dictating the midfield battle that well. I think another element of it as well, for me, is that when Casemiro doesn't play, particularly when Ericsson's not there as well, there's a real onus on Bruno Fernandes to keep things simple. And yesterday, he was pretty wasteful in his passing. I know he scores two goals and he ends up having what you regard as a good match, but <laughs> he's played much better when he's not scored or got an assist because his passing has been simplified. And I think when Casemiro is not there, you do just need Bruno Fernandes to sort of condense his game a little bit and just play a bit more level-headed, take less less risks and just keep things simple, really. So I think there's a, a whole sort of myriad of, of factors for United failing to control these games. And... What annoys me a little bit is that Ten Hag has basically ruled out playing Martinez in midfield. The, the dilemma there is that Martinez is the best defender. Found a new defensive midfielder piece by any oh, chance I wish. Them I wish. <laughs> I think it'll be coming by the end of the week. You put it that way, but you know, Ten Hag said that he wants to have a proper left-footed centre back, and you could play Luke Shaw there and move Martinez further forward. I really would like to see Martinez because he's just got that composure. 
the tenacity. He's so good on the ball. He plays those line-breaking passes. He's such a creative outlet. But Ten Hag just sees him as he at his best defender as well. So one area of the pitch has always got to suffer when Casemiro is not there. And yeah. I just can't see... You know, if I was choosing the team, it would be Martez, defensive midfield with Fred and, and Bruno Fernandes probably. But... It just, just gives so much happening. to the team with his passing though, doesn't he, Martinez, in defence? Yeah. That's the thing, his range of passing, breaking the lines, supplying the midfield with, with the balls. And I think that's why he's been so brilliant this season because he's, he's that kind of centre-back that we've probably not saw at United in uh, quite a long time, actually, a, a quality ball-playing centre-half. And we've not actually touched on, obviously, Varane was out yesterday, he was absent, he should be back for Newcastle though, just a knock. Um, Maguire started, obviously, alongside um, Martinez. I don't know about you, Richard, thought Maguire... It wasn't exactly fantastic, but it just it just highlights how good Varane and Martinez are together when Lindelof or Maguire does come in because it just shows you what they actually provide to the team. Um, there, I think there is a massive gulf in quality, actually, when Maguire comes into that side. We'll come on to his future bit later when we come on to the international break. But just to end this part, I thought it was worth mentioning, obviously, the, the fixture list. It's been absolutely grueling. Me and you were just discussing it before we came on air. And I think since December, when they defeated Burnley in the Carabao Cup, so just after the World Cup, I think they've played 13 consecutive weeks with, with two games, which just highlights really the, the challenge that they've had in these last three months. And you look at the progress they've made in that time, they've continued on that run, they've sustained momentum, they've ended the, the worst trophy drought at the club for 40 years, obviously with the Carabao Cup. Champions League looks a certainty, so there's plenty of positives, and Europa League obviously still in contention and overcoming that yesterday in the FA Cup. So a fantastic few months really considering the circumstances when you look at it that way hasn't it it's been a really testing few months but there's, there's divide expectations I would say absolutely you think back to that that defeat against Real Sociedad that made made sure they had to play two more matches against Barcelona as well in the playoffs <laughs> and oddly those matches against Barcelona might have had a positive impact on United season yeah, because they agree. gave them such a lift and you know it really reinforce what Ten Hag's doing but the downside of that is United have played so much football already and are absolutely knackered you know they've played 46 matches they are guaranteed to play at least 15 more now they I could think play it was 48 more. in the entirety of last season you know I think I did my my lunch piece the other yeah. day was analysing that which which just shows you doesn't how absurd it is really the how many games they've played but it's, it's a good thing because you want to be in every competition but it obviously does take its toll doesn't it and it has yeah, so they could end up playing 65 games this season. That's what's obscene <laughs> because you wouldn't put it past them to get to the Carabao Cup, uh, the AFA Cup, sorry, in yeah. the, the Europa League final. And if you look at the fixture schedule already, I've got it up on my phone in front of me. So sorry if you're watching this on YouTube. <laughs> I, I am looking away at the moment. Um, United only have two free midweeks left potentially before the end of the season, but they will be taken up if they progress in the Europa League so they've got to fit the Brighton game in that'll probably be early May and they've got to fit the Chelsea game in which could be the, the penultimate match of the season in, in late May and then the only two free midweeks are also in May but they could be taken up by Europa League semi-finals so there's a possibility that United play two games a week now until the end of the season and there's even a possibility that they could end up have one week where they've got to play three matches like we saw was it when they played sort of Leicester and Liverpool in the space of two yeah, days or yeah, so? Right. Was that uh, two years ago? And there's there's maybe a little bit of confusion because United are, are playing West Ham away on the 7th of May and that's the coronation weekend here in the UK. And because it's in London, there's been no sort of guidance at the moment that this will happen. But obviously there's going to be a lot of policing required for that because it's such a major 
event in British history. There'll be so many people in the capital anyway. Your favourite day gonna be of the year, isn't it? It's going to be. Looking forward to it. I'm <laughs> requesting to work that while I'll do a double yeah. kick after. Um, it's just, you know, it's just going to be interesting to see if any Premier League games or major sporting events are affected by the fact that there's going to be so much place, so many place in the capital. There's going to be so much interest in that already and so many resources go into the coronation. So you look as well that if United do get to the Europa League final, FA Cup final, then they are playing two games a week. You know, that is the minimum. They have to play midweek and the weekend. But then what if a game is postponed for unforeseen circumstances or you know, weather or something. If there's just one reason that a game has to be postponed again, then they have to play three games in one of the other weeks at least because these can't squeeze it in any further. The Premier League has to end on the final day of the season for sporting integrity. You have to have the FA Cup final when it's penciled in and the Europa League final when it's penciled in. So it's absolutely packed. United have already done so well to get over this this 13 weeks, like you said, of two two games a week. And it looks very likely like it'll be exactly the same until the end of the season. And again, praise to Ten Hag for managing his team so well for all this, but it's going to be a real test for him to keep players fit and to, to rotate his squad properly. Definitely, definitely. I was thinking I was looking at the Europa League final. I think that's two days after the final day of the season as well. So that's a, yet another game um, coming after soon after another. So a very, very tough test. Tough period, should I say. <laughs> um, we'll end it there for part one because the producer is probably going to get angry because we've rambled on a bit there. We'll be back in a moment for part two. So, Rich, I thought we'd just look at some individual performances to begin this section. And I thought it was worth touching on Jaden Sancho, who... I'd say it's fair to say he had a, a, quite a poor first half. He was quite anonymous, didn't really get involved. He's been guilty of that throughout his time at the club. Um, and he has become a bit inconsistent, really. We're not seeing these performances that were sort of Dortmund. We've obviously analysed it quite regularly, brought up those points. Um, I thought he would come off at half-time. There was obviously no changes at the break. It was, a, as was discussed before, it was a really sluggish first half. And I thought changes were inevitable. I thought he was the most likely candidate to be replaced. And I thought Anthony would come on for him. Um, that change obviously did happen. Anthony did come on, but Sancho stayed on the pitch. Um, McTominay came off, which was quite an a, a aggressive change, but with the benefit of hindsight, it, it was one that had to be made, really, because United were trading 1-0 at that stage. Obviously, Mitrovic had scored. But we surprised that there were no changes at the break because we praised Ten Hag's in-games management a lot, and we have done this season. And look, I guess they won the game in the end. Um, but it was a surprise for me, really, not to see some changes a, a bit quicker at half-time because it, it seemed like something had to change, something had to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's Ten hard after the game sort of indicated that he's kind of happy with his first-half performance and that he never felt that troubled, but it was just so lacklustre and, and mediocre. Like you said, I definitely would have changed something. I'm just so surprised that A, Veghorst started, and then B, Veghorst wasn't substituted. I mean, yeah. I say surprise, he started every single game. It was 18 in a row since he arrived at the club, and I know that there's mitigation for that. Marshall's not been available, so you know, I don't have another natural centre-forward available. But I think there's, we saw on Sunday again that United played the best football with the wingers on the counter-attack. There's remit an argument to say that United should play with a false nine or just play someone else through the middle in an attacking role because you might say, well, Sancho or Anthony is not a centre-forward. Vegos doesn't look like one at the moment either. You know, he runs a lot and presses, but Usain Bolt in the director's box runs a lot as well. He's not on the pitch, is he? I think that 
United just need to accept that, you know, people, I mean, and we'll start on Veghorst and get on to Sancho. Like Veghorst has got a role. He, he arrived, you know, they didn't have much choice. He's coming to serve a purpose. To a large degree, he's already been a success in, in what he was brought in to do because he gave out that other option. He contributed to, to some big wins when he arrived. But that doesn't mean you have to start him by default every week. He's a squad player and he's been overexposed by United's lack of a centre-forward option. I still think you've got to manage him a bit more sensibly, bring him off in games earlier, start him on the bench in some matches, let him be that impact sub. And he's almost being exposed by United's you know, lack of options and creativity in the forward line. Sancho, I mean, last week he played three games for United and he played every attacking role, basically, didn't he? He started through the middle against that's Southampton the, that's the he played on both wings. Which positions is best at the moment? I mean, we discussed that yeah, last week. And in a weird way as well, if Sancho maybe was in red-hot form, when he gets one-on-one -on -one with Leno, he might just finish that and then the red cards don't happen and it's one-all. But, you know, like he did against Liverpool, he took the touch, really nice to take up as Leno, brought it back inside, had the shot, blocked off a line and Sancho's gone from just scoring a goal to getting three, uh, two players in the match just sent off in the process as well. And he did grow into game towards the end, but I just think Anthony was the catalyst for all that for United. He was excellent in his cameo and United still just look a lot better on the counter-attack for me, which is a bit of a worry because for all the progress they've made into Ten Hag, there's still games like Sunday where they just don't have control and they rely on moments of magic or moments of madness to, to get them over the line. And I think that another issue is a lot of their forwards have just been playing their best football from the bench. But now that Marshall's out, Garnacho's injured, you've got to start some of these players. and they just don't really have a specified role and even after you know a decent end into the game can you really justify Sancho starting again against Newcastle I can't and the problem is that if you put Rashford on the left and Anthony on the right you've still got to solve the, the problem through the middle so you know it's just whatever selection they choose is going to be a negative there's going to be a drawback to it for, for United at the moment but you know, they did enough on the day, didn't they? So I suppose we've got to be too pessimistic, but there's certainly a few cracks that were, were papered over. I mean, credit to Sancho, as you just said, he obviously had a poor first half of the game, but he did go into it and he did obviously create the first goal and he had a, a part to play in the second, playing that ball off and to, to obviously look sure and the ball going at the box. So fair play to him like that. He, he did grow it into it. But like I say, when you analyse his position, he started on the right, obviously moved across. For me, I think the solution is from the play on the right, and I'd like to see him beat his man a bit more often. I'd like to see him take on his fullback, and I think that's something that United's wingers have a tendency maybe not to do. I think they're all guilty of cutting inside quite often, and obviously Anthony loves to do that. So it would make him a, a kind of unique threat on the right if, if, if Sancho had the confidence to take on his man and, and put those balls into the box. And God knows Weghorst would benefit from that, wouldn't he? Or anyone who plays at striker getting that service from that side. And it's a, it's a different proposition if, if Sancho does that from the right. But he does like the cut in and we've saw that. And, and to be honest, Rich, I think he's got a preference to play on the left. When you look at his time um, at Dortmund and you actually look at his goals to minute ratio, it is significantly better from the left side compared to the right. So that's a problem. And we've been talking about this for two years now, almost. I'm just kind of wondering whether Sancho is going to be a successful signing. We've given patience, we've given time. Um, and, I, and I thought he was going to come good. I was a huge fan of his in Germany. I thought he was an excellent signing, a very exciting signing. But he's just not produced yet, has he? And that, that's just the truth of it. 
we're not saying that those levels and well, obviously England are playing it's the international break and he's far from that England squad right now and, and that's not a surprise No and again you've got to take this step back sometimes and I don't you know don't want to be part of a pylon and because he obviously is an extremely talented player but he just doesn't do it consistently enough and of course he can't dictate the price tag he, he has no say in that but United even though they saved what was it 35 million pounds on him by waiting a year they still spent 73 million pounds on a player who is no longer a guarantee for his international side who doesn't have a guaranteed starting role and who even when he does play doesn't have a sort of guaranteed position on the pitch either he's just a bit of an anomaly at the moment for United which is a, a real shame it's a puzzle and isn't it he's Hogg, become a puzzle yeah and yeah. Ten Hag has excellent man management I think he handled it the right way with Sancho going to have his sort of personal training in, in the Netherlands and coming back and being slowly integrated into the, the fold again and there were there were signs there's been little moments in which he's looked really good and he's you know like we said still got that talent but it's just still not hit the ground running and still can't sort of guarantee a starting role in this United side, which is which is a worry. And going forward, you've just got to question, like you said there, where, what is best for his future? Because he was signed to play on the right wing. They've already invested in Anthony there, spent more money on him. You've got Ahmad coming back from loan this summer who will have maybe more of a shot on the right. So Sancho is potentially already third choice on the right through the middle, centre attack and mid. Fernandez is the main go-to yeah, guy there. 10, he's, he's definitely not a number we, 10. We've seen Veghorst play there. Eriksen could yeah. play there. And then if they sign this other creative midfielder, they could play there. And then on the left, that's Rashford's best role. It's Garnaccio's best, best role. So where is Sancho in the pecking order? You could say across the front line, he's third choice in every single position. And when you spend £73 million on that, you either need better return for your investment or comes a time where you maybe need to cash in or, or look elsewhere. And, you know, he's still so young. He's got so much talent. He's only 22, you've got to remember. He, he seems like he's been around for so long. And something that's also worked against Sancho is because he's English, you just sort of think he'll be fine in the Premier League. But he is effectively a foreign signing because he, he got his footballing education playing in Germany. It's the same as Anthony, really, who's come over from the Netherlands. You know, someone who is still adapting to the league, to his new surroundings, to the intensity of the Premier League. But soon, you know, soon the narrative will change around Sancho and he won't be the young player anymore and he won't be a new player to the Premier League. You know, he's been here for nearly two years already and he's just not delivered enough. And he's still got a bit of time on his side and we can just still give him the benefit of the doubt and let him have longer to, to find his stride, find his place and his role in this United side. But right now, he, like you said, is just a puzzle. Sancho at his best should be pushing Anthony though, shouldn't he? They should be both vying yeah. for that starting role in the team. Um, we've saw what he can Well, even at his best, he should be pushing Rashford on the left. He should be pushing yeah, for a start. Yeah, at his very best, you're right. Sancho, we know how good he is. Like you said, just watch his Dortmund highlights, watch his career reel, watch what he's done in moments for United, in moments for England. And... He is an elite talent, but we've just not seen enough of it. He's obviously had his, his trouble this year and he's, he's come through that. Ten Hag's handled that really well. Um, so I think next season really is a, a massive season for his career regarding his, his time at United anyways. I think a, a good pre-season under his belt, his second season with Ten Hag in charge, 
um, of his coaching again and, and to get his style. So next season will be massive for Sancho for me because I think then he really has to deliver. And if he doesn't, obviously we'll talk about it at the time, but it might be time to move on. But we're a long, long way uh, off that anyways. And as you've said, he is still very young. So there is still plenty of time to get it right. We've discussed Anthony there, Rich. He was brilliant from off the bench. Um Perhaps should have started, some might have suggested, but he came on and he, he made a real difference, didn't he? He really stood out when he came on. Um, he almost got a goal himself when he kind of danced around a few players in the box and almost produced a finish and he probably deserved the goal for that run. Um, I've been a bit critical of Anthony this season because I feel like he's not sustained performances across the 90 minutes, but what you've got to say is the talent is clearly there. Whenever you watch Anthony, he can produce these moments where he'll cut inside. He's got a wonderful left foot. Um, some brilliant goals that he scored this season. And if you can just get it right, if you can just piece it all together, which no doubt he will will do because he's only just signed in the summer. It's his first season in England. As you said with Sancho, it, it takes a, a transitional period, doesn't it, for these players to settle in. He's going to be a hell of a player, really. He should be, shouldn't he? Because uh, we're seeing all the right things. And that, and that cameo is really promising again. Yeah, again, Anthony is similar to Sancho in that the price tag will always be held against him, but he can't actually have a say on that. And he just needs time, he needs faith. And the particularly interesting thing of Anthony is he's not just new to English football, but still only three years ago that he moved to European football from Sao Paulo to Ajax. So he's still learning his craft. Again, someone who's very young, we saw his inclusion in the World Cup squad. It's how highly rated he is to be in that recognition for all the quality Brazil have in attacking positions. And you know, he gets critiqued a lot for having one trick up his sleeve, but it's a bloody good trick, I'll tell you that, when <laughs> I he wish puts I could play on that left foot. Yeah. Exactly, I wouldn't be complaining whatsoever. <laughs> and I think the other factor is that he's maybe not the player some people thought he would be. They thought he'd be a, a speedy winger who is maybe more adapt to the Premier League with sort of a low centre of gravity, looking to beat a man and scoring goals for fun. But... He slows the game down a little bit. He likes to cut back in on himself, open up different attacking angles. And when he gets into those central areas, that's when he really does his, his damage. He loves quick interchanges, linking up with players. And a big part, I think, for Anthony as well is having a consistent right back to work with. And he plays his best football with Wan-Bissaka there. You'd think it maybe be with Dalo who compliments him the most, but Wan-Bissaka has been the better right back this calendar year. And they've got a really good partnership developing there on the on the right hand side they understand which e what each other needs and Wan-Bissaka is very happy to give Anthony the ball and let him try and try and do all the work and you know he will always be judged as every attacker is on his goals and his assists and all that sort of output on the pure numbers but he is a unique United talent and the other factor that I like about Anthony is that he does encapsulate what Ten Hag wants from a from a player, not just a forward from a player, someone who is calm and creative on the ball, can make things happen, has a good passing range, and he just has that little flicker of something, doesn't he? He always he's feels got like an edge, something doesn't might he? he's happen. He's got an edge, though. Yeah. He's got a personality he, that yeah, Tenog likes in his players. That's what I like for my attacking players. I want someone who's a bit of a maverick, someone who some weeks is going to make you rip your hair out and you're going to be really frustrated <laughs> with. But every time he gets on the ball, you're on the edge of your seat because you know something can happen. He's an electric talent. They just need to find a way to really channel all that ability. He's got that raw technical skill and he's got all the makings of a United great. He's He has got it all and it's just going to be a case now for United to give him time, to let him do his thing, but he's just going to get better and better. And yeah, he was a, a joy to watch against Fulham. He was unleashed and as soon as they went down to nine men, 
he was just toying with them, wasn't he? There was that brilliant run to the box where he's doing step overs, dragging the ball back, almost got the finish as well. And yeah, he's he's a joy to watch. It's like just watching the most talented kid at school on the playground, <laughs> just, you know, sort of half-arsed, just take the piss out of you all and just make it look so effortless. I, yeah, I really like watching him play. And if you like a player of personality, Rich, does that mean United just saying the prolific goal scorer that is Alexander Mitrovic? Could he solve the problem in summer? Could he come along and score the goals? That would be a piece, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would certainly be a piece, yeah. Um, I mean, you <laughs> well, I think I had this conversation <laughs> with Samuel a while back and I think someone mentioned it uh, just as a joke. And I was like, no chance. Well, you, they probably no do chance. need a striker who's got a bit of edge, don't they? I'm not sure they need that it much edge. Yeah, <laughs> it's probably a bit too much. And in my opinion, he, yeah, he is a good striker. Obviously, he's proved himself to be fair at Premier League level, but he doesn't have the quality, does he? Um especially when the club are interested in Harry Kane and Victor Rosham and there's levels to this game isn't it and uh, them two are a bit bit further ahead than Mitrovic I think it's fair to say um, Obviously the FA Cup draw has been made Rich it was made uh, just before the game um, obviously Brighton in the semi-final of the FA Cup and Manchester City will play Sheffield United. That was always going to happen, wasn't it? <laughs> City were always going to get like easier yeah. side of the draw. Yeah, um, but it's it's another fantastic chance, isn't it, to get to a, to a major cup final, a, a, another trip to Wembley, anyways, which is guaranteed. Um, and they've got a great chance in the Europa League, as we discussed earlier. So this season, it, it's shaping up to be quite a special campaign, isn't it? Yeah, and I think the international break this week offers a real good time for reflection and. No matter what happens now, United have basically achieved their season goal. The, the target was to get back into the top four, and that seems an absolute certainty now. On top of that, it was to try and win a trophy, to end this this trophy drought, which was, as a lower league fan, six years without a trophy, boo-hoo, that's hard for me to sympathise with. But, you know, they've done that. They've got that winning streak. They've got the serial winners in the side, and it can be a springboard and this United team really does feel like it's going to go on and win more major honours under Eric Ten Hag and it really wouldn't be a surprise if they now went on and won the FA Cup. Of course, there's two tricky tests to get past in that and Europe won't be easy either but you've just got to take a step back and think about how bad United were this time last year. I was just Fans about to say enjoy that. Watching out of United all the competitions. Them. Yeah, it was a chore to watch them, wasn't it? Out of, out of every competition, the season was a write-off Ranić was saying they need 10 new signings. The players were dreadful. You had loads of players on the pitch who didn't want to be there. People wanting out. It was toxic. It was unhappy. There was loads of disharmony. And fans were supporting their team, but they didn't maybe enjoy the team they were watching. They couldn't relate to them. They were an unlikable bunch of players. And Ten Hag has changed so much in 12 months. He deserves huge credit for resetting the club, getting the standards back, getting that winning mentality buying players who all want to be a part of something, who want to contribute to United's success. They're not just here for an easy payday anymore. United used to sign players from Real Madrid who just wanted to have Champions League football and some money in their bank account. Now they're signing players who are here because they want to win and it's all coming together so nicely. And, you know, next season will be a really interesting one to see how much of a leap United can make from pretenders to contenders in the title race. But... They're the best of the rest. They could win another piece of silverware. They're basically 
I don't want to say guaranteed, but they're well on course to get Champions League football next season. Oh, they have achieved I'll say most, the yeah. yeah. I, I and they've achieved their goal for the season. But, yeah, so exactly. you've got to just take a step back and see how far they've come. And even if they'd gone out of the FA Cup to Fulham at the weekend, you know, it would have been disappointing and there would have been a few questions asked, but just take a step back and look. just look how bad United were this time last year and you'll realise what an amazing job Ten Hag's doing. There's just a few more signings away from that. Premier League title charge and that felt an absolute world away last season. Um, all the defeats, the, the, Bright, the Brent, uh, was it Brighton? Sorry, uh, in the latter stage of the season on the south coast, that was absolutely terrible. That stands out in my mind straight away. But there was a few, few absolute terrible results. Obviously, Liverpool, City getting embarrassed off both of those. So to turn it around uh, and to produce such a remarkable kind of renaissance, it's, it is credit to Ten Hag and it. He has ex- exceeded expectations, really. And surprised me, I, I was probably leaning towards Pochettino in the sum out of the, the two managers that I would have gone for. But Ten Hag's done a fantastic job with, obviously just came to Ajax. That's the only really top job he had before coming to Old Trafford. Um, and he's doing amazing. He's doing amazing. There'll be scarves and jumpers and mugs won't have his face on all over the place very soon. Um, it is the international break, Rich, the dreaded international break. England are playing Ukraine and Italy. I don't think there's too much to say about the international break, but I did want to just briefly touch on Harry Maguire, really, because he did start, obviously, the other day. He's fell down the pecking order this season, and, and, and kind of rightly so. As we've just said, Varane and Martinez have been fantastic. What do you think is going to happen with his future now? Um, because we're approaching the summer and it it feels like, look, he's, he's won a trophy in his last season or potentially what could be his last season and I think it's, it might be the time for him to move on now. Yeah, it does just feel that way, doesn't it? He just, against Fulham in particular, he just looks like the complete opposite of what Ten Hag wants from a centre-back. He looked clumsy, he looked off the pace, he looked cumbersome, he just wasn't comfortable in possession of the ball, the home crowd were groaning when you know he's taking his time to to get the ball out from the back and you've got to say against Betis in midweek he was excellent I think he was my other match I know it was a a strange game and there's mitigation to it but I thought he was really good in in that game and he is a defender that is what he is you know it might sound stupid like that but if you're playing for a team who does a lot of defensive work and needs players on the line blocking shots and putting you know everything on it on the pitch then Harry Maguire's your man but United are trying to move away from that. They want players who are really comfortable with the ball at feet. They want to do less defending because they're attacking all the time. They're always in control of the ball and that's how you avoid having to do as much of the dirty work. And Harry Maguire just doesn't really fit into that. He doesn't fit into their long-term vision. And, you know, he said after the Betty's game, he gave a really good interview on TV saying that he tries every day to make Man United more successful and that is his aim. He's just always looking for United to be the best team they are, whether he's playing or not. And, he gets a lot of unfair criticism, but there is valid criticism around Harry Maguire as well. And I think it's just best for all parties if at the end of the season, he can move to a club who will appreciate him, where he gets to do that dirty defensive work every week and remind people what a top defender he is. Like I said, the problem with United is they don't just want these no-nonsense centre-backs anymore. They need people who are more composed with the ball at their feet that are going to help them contribute to the attacking plays and who just symbolise the new era of United and partly the problem for Maguire is his face doesn't fit anymore because he does just symbolise those years of me- mediocrity and failure before him so it's it's a really tricky situation but I think Sunday was just a, another reality check that 
it would be best for him and for United if he were to move on at the end of the season, in my yeah. opinion. I mean, I think if you've made an important point, though, with his kind of attitude, and he's not sulked this season, really, has he? He's remained professional, and he's, he's carried on to, to train hard and, and well, and he's remained a positive influence around that dressing room. And you can never really doubt... Uh, how much he cares for the club, and he does a lot of work outside of outside of football, outside of the training that, that people might not see with the foundation and whatnot. So he's always remained a, a dedicated professional, and he deserves credit for that because other players might have sulked and, and might have kind of thrown their, thrown their toys out the pram in the same scenario, especially being kind of club captain and, and getting demoted. So so fair play to Maguire for that, but I think yeah, you're, you're probably right. We all probably agree that it's going to be or should be his last season at the club, anyways, and. He'll produce a storm on order, won't he, against Ukraine and Italy? He'll look fantastic and, and everyone will rave on about him. But you're right, he's a limited centre half and he's good at doing limited jobs, I guess. Um, and that's Maguire to a T. Yeah, and like we said, if he goes to another team that, that needs that, then I have no doubt he will become a very good. Wrexham well in the market for a centre half? Sadly not. It's probably the one <laughs> position that we are we are overstocked in at the moment. I mean, I'd love to see him on the end of a Bentoza long throw, but <laughs> no, nah, I don't think Harry Maguire directs him. I think if that's a transfer exclusive, I'd probably say that's not going to happen. Ryan Reynolds, if you're listening, make it happen. Make it happen. Get in touch. I'm sure John Murder will receive your call anyways. Rich, we'll just leave it there. Um, we've been rambling on for 45 minutes now, but a pretty conclusive uh, podcast, I do believe. Thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Just me and you today. It has been a pleasure, hasn't it, Stephen? Yeah, we'll, we'll have to do this again. I mean, it makes it, it makes a change for me and you just sitting in the pub uh, and rambling on for, for hours on end together, isn't it? I think as many people are probably listening now, that as this, they listen to us in the pub, though, not very many, thank you very much, <laughs> if you've made it this far. Well, all the women usually approach you and I just stand and look. Um, so an interesting Saturday afternoons, no doubt. Thank you very much uh, for listeners as usual. Head across to YouTube, uh, check us out on the other audio platforms, Spotify and Apple. Have a great week and take care. Thank you.